Just as Attorney General Barr gets ready to release that Mueller report, Congress heads out for a two-week recess. Besides panting over the report, there's plenty of other pending business, as we hear from Bloomberg Government Editorial Director Lauren Duggan. And it didn't seem like the best time to take, I guess it never does seem like a good time for them to recess, but recess they did. What was left on the table? Well, this is a traditional time to take a two-week break around the religious holidays and to accommodate some of the school spring breaks around the country. But before they left, um, the Democrats were working toward some sort of consensus in the House on how much to spend in total for the year. Now, they've accomplished that in one way, but didn't accomplish it in another. So what they did do is agree to guide appropriators in the House to spend $1.3 trillion on base discretionary programs this year. That's on both the defense and the non-defense side. That number came from a plan that John Yarmuth, the budget committee chairman, a Kentucky Democrat, had put together. He wrote a bill that would go, obviously, to the Senate, to the president, and maybe into law to increase the spending caps to a total of $1.3 trillion. But a vote on that bill was possible last week, but squelched when there was too much division among Democrats to, to push that forward. And what that really came down to is a disagreement between Democrats and among Democrats about how much to increase the defense and non-defense caps above what the Budget Control Act says. So he came in with fairly equal increases um, to what those caps would be. And some Democrats were calling for truly equalizing the amount of the cap. So not just equal increases, but equal amounts of money, because the defense cap, as we know, is bigger than the non-defense cap. So um, the Democrats did at least agree to give appropriators a target, um, but the caps are still in place. And unless those are addressed by the time all these bills are written and signed into law, um, we would have sequestration. So we still haven't moved very far beyond this initial question of how much we're going to spend next year, but at least the House has a target to begin working toward. $1.3 billion sounds like enough for everybody, though. That's uh, slightly above... I think, enacted levels for 2019, correct? Yeah, that would be an increase, $1.3 trillion, and and that money would be divided among defense and non-defense programs. Now, what's interesting is the $1.3 trillion number appropriators have doesn't go between defense and non-defense, but I I think the $733 billion that he's given in his bill for non-defense would probably, or I'm sorry, for defense, would carry over into the appropriations bills. And also, Adam Smith, the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, is looking at that number when he sits down to write the defense authorization bill, which will be another major piece of legislation that could roll out in May and into June, setting the policy for the Defense Department. So there there seems to be a consensus among House Democrats for that number. Um, But of course, the Senate Republicans have yet to really weigh in on where they're willing to go, nor has the Trump administration, although their budget plan had the idea that you would spend a lot more in uh, overseas contingency operations budget than increasing the caps on the defense side. So Still a lot of distance between the three major parties here, but um, there, there seems to be consensus that there needs to be more talking once they do get back from this two-week break. And on that point of the defense budget, if the armed services committees want to get around ahead of the budget and the appropriators, then they've got to get the NDAA done pretty quickly. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, they can also write that bill in one version that has one top line target and then come back later on in conference and do another or even adjust when they get to the floor in the House and the Senate if there is some sort of consensus between when the chairman put out their marks and what comes after that. But a lot of what they're going to be concerning themselves with in the House and Senate Armed Services Committee is what weapon systems to fund, what oversight to put in place for those systems, what to do about contracting policy in general, and then looking at personnel 
systems and healthcare systems and all that. So they have a lot on their plate, even if they don't have the exact dollar number. But of course, having a dollar number to, to craft your bill toward is usually a helpful idea. Sounds like a pair of trousers with lots of fabric left in the seat seam to be whatever size you needed to be at some point. We're speaking with Lauren Duggan, editorial director of Bloomberg Government. And just before recess, there was a democratically backed bill in the Senate to match a bill that's already in the House that has some Republican support for 12 weeks of paid family leave for federal employees. And that's an area where we are looking for some potential consensus. Um, There's been a couple of different paid leave proposals come out over the years, um, including the administration has called for it. The president's daughter and advisor, Ivanka Trump, has been a leading advocate for some sort of paid leave legislation. We know in the Senate that there was a bipartisan bill coming up with Bill Cassidy, who's a fairly conservative Republican, but he's been working with Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, who cut kind of a moderate profile when she was in the House and may continue to do so in the Senate. So this does seem like an area where they can look at different proposals, whether it's just for federal workers or trying to support it on a national basis for some sort of paid family leave. I wouldn't be surprised to see more activity on that going into the rest of the year. Um, now, there could be very different approaches taken here by Democrats and Republicans, the House and the Senate. But um, if there is an area for possible bipartisan and consensus, that looks like a pretty good one. And with reactions pretty much preordained to whatever it is that the attorney general releases this week with respect to the Mueller report, this week seems like a good time from the administration standpoint, at least when Congress is scattered to the 50 states. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, taxes are going to be part of that debate as well with um, Richard Neal, the Ways and Means chairman, having filed a formal request with the IRS to get the president's tax return. So far, the administration has said they won't send that, with Mick Mulvaney even saying on a Sunday show recently that they'll never see the tax returns. That's a battle that's coming. There will be reaction to the Mueller report. It probably depends on what percentage of the document is readable versus redacted and um, what questions Congress may ask about. Can they see the redacted material? or who among the members of Congress can see that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what that reaction is and, and what day of the week that comes and, and where members are, because some of the members, of course, are going to be traveling abroad on congressional delegations or CODELs and might be slower to react than if they were here in Washington, D.C. But um, the Mueller report and its consequences are going to continue. Uh, we see Republicans also calling now, along with the president, for potentially looking into the investigation itself and, and some of the decisions that were made in 2016 when President Obama was still there. So the the Mueller report, even if we get the document in some sort of version, redacted or otherwise, um, isn't the end of the story. It's kind of just the end of this chapter as we then turn to the next one. And at the end of last week, there was a budding legal challenge from the House side on whether Kevin McElhaney could actually be the acting secretary of Homeland Security because of succession dictates in the law for the Homeland Security Department. And that really didn't get a chance to bloom before the recess. Right. But that's an issue that won't end anytime soon. If there's some legal uncertainty there about whether McAleenan could be elevated to the position, because that isn't the way it was spelled out in the law, you could see a lawsuit filed or some pressure from Congress. But we also know that there were other departures at the Homeland Security Department that made him kind of closer to where he needed to be in the line of succession there to take over. So um, what happens sometimes with this is somebody 
will at some point maybe have standing to sue as well to um, to challenge the his appointment as acting Homeland Security Secretary. So um, it's kind of a, a messy situation developing there with Congress certainly pushing back, and there will be hearings coming up, I, I imagine, when we get back from recess looking at the Homeland Security Department's budget, where many of these questions are going to come up about what happened at the department, what may or may not have been said to him about um, a pardon if he took certain actions, which was certainly in the news um, last week and into the weekend. So um, the, the Homeland Security Department debate isn't over yet, nor is the, the search, of course, to find a permanent replacement there or at the Defense Department or at other places where there are holes in the administration that the Senate will be working with the administration to try and fill. Lauren Duggan is editorial director of Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive when you want by subscribing at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.